Praise the Lord. Good morning. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 41. I'm just going to read two verses here. All right, right on schedule. It says, The Son of Man will send His angels. I want you to think about this. Son of Man is sending His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin. Now think about it. What's a cause of sin? I'm a cause of sin. You're a cause of sin. How many here have been sinners? All right. It's a whole other sermon if you don't raise your hand. All right. He will gather all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Ever broken a law? And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray your anointing upon this message, Lord. Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord God, that we would have ears to hear, Lord, that you would hide me behind your cross, Lord God, that you and only you would be seen, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to read a scripture from Peter again. I read this quite often and quote it quite often. But Peter is in the last days of his life. Uh, He's about to be executed by the Roman government. And um, tradition says that his wife also is going to be executed. And so he says this, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, he says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of my body, because I know that I'll soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. A couple of weeks ago, I preached about Paul and his last words and He's about to be executed by the Roman government as well. In fact, they're probably in the same area, the same um, prison together. And um, so the last words of Peter are, I'm going to keep reminding you of the things you already know. Um, How many know it's important? You know, if that's the last words that Peter has to remind what we already know, that changed my ministry. Because sometimes as a pastor, how many know there's pressure to have some new revelation? You know, to have some type of teaching that's profound and, and you know, and deep and, and wow, where did he get that at? You know, how did he come up with something so deep and so awesome? And, and so sometimes as, as a minister, you'll dig and you'll dig and you'll dig. But I've, I've came to know now that it's more important sometimes to remind us the things we already know. And um, so, so today, this message is about uh, the reality of hell. 
the reality of hell and, and everybody say, oh no, here we go. How many know that's something that I should as a minister remind everybody of very frequently? You know, that there is a reality that is called hell. And even if I read scriptures that we've heard a hundred times, it's my responsibility and, and, and I hope that you pray that ministers all across this country and all across the world are reminding people regularly that there is a hell. How many think that's really critical? You know, to keep reminding ourselves that it exists. That um, that right now there is a place um, that is prepared for Satan and his angels. How many know that? And this is a place that exists. And i got to tell you something. That Matthew chapter 13 is difficult to hear. Because my Bible tells me that there's none righteous, no, not one. And the Bible tells me that we're all sinners. And, and the Bible tells me that we're all depraved and we all have a um, destination. Without a Savior, how many know that our destination is hell? That's where lawbreakers go. That's where those who are causes of sin go because the kingdom that our Lord is going to establish will not have lawbreakers and will not have those who cause sin. How many say amen? I want to be in that place, but you know what? Without a Savior, I can't go to that place. And if we don't understand that we're sinners, this book just doesn't make sense. Nothing in this Bible makes sense about a Savior unless we understand that we are sinners. And, and, and we come to the reality that, man, I, I have no possibility of going to heaven. Hell is my destination without a Savior. And how many know that? And you say, well, man, why do we do the things that we do? Why do we go, um, hopefully, at least once a week we're worshiping the Lord. But, man, we should be doing it every day. And can I tell you something very truthful? If we're not worshiping God and we're not thanking God at the very least that we're saved from hell, then we just don't understand what we're doing. We don't understand what, why we worship. We don't understand why we put our time into buildings to save the lost. We don't understand anything that we're doing. It's just a routine or it's just a ritual, right? If we don't understand that we're sinners deserving hell without a Savior. And so I just want to remind you, I want to refresh your memory so we don't forget this. And if you don't understand this, um, your time's running out to understand it. How many know that? You say, well, how much time do I have? I don't know. You could be falling into eternity before we're out of this building. How many know that? How many know you're not promised tomorrow, you're not promised the next minute, you're not promised the next hour. Anybody in this room could die, and it may shock us, but then within a day we'll say, well, that's what happens. How many know that's true? It'll be normalized within 24 hours. It'll be a shock at first. But then they'll say, well, it was bound to happen. You know, it's the one sure thing we know that we're going to die. 
And so we're not promised tomorrow. So I want to remind you very clearly and very effectively, I want to answer the question, why is there a hell? And number two, why would God send me there? Okay, why would God send me there? And you say, well, man, what an awesome subject, you know, to talk about on a Sunday morning. I was kind of hoping it was a feel-good sermon, uh, but you'll feel real good when you find out what you were saved from. Okay, it's one of those uh, uh, walk away from the table and you had Brussels sprouts instead of, uh, you know, all all sweets, right? You feel good about it. Um, There was a preacher that uh, preached a sermon on hell. And um, he finished preaching that sermon and... um, and a man came to make sure he gave him some good advice on uh, preaching. You know, sometimes you get advice and sometimes it's really helpful. Sometimes it's not real helpful, you know. But um, he said, you know, he said, I've got a recommendation for you. He said, why don't you just concentrate on the lowly and the meek Jesus. Preach those sermons and uh, quit preaching all this hellfire stuff, you know. And he said, sir, he said, all the information I preached today was from him. And how many know almost all the information we have in the Bible about hell was from Jesus? He was the only one that came from heaven to earth to tell us what heaven was like, but also he's the one that was the most descriptive about what hell is like. And so if you're looking for a good, faithful witness of what I'm telling you today, he's the witness. Who's a, who's a more faithful witness of what hell is like than the one who created it? You say, well, wait a minute, I didn't think about that. You know, John chapter 1 says that anything that was made was made by him. He created it all. And so he is the creator of it. How many, how many realize that he has a right to tell you about it if he created it? And he has the wisdom to understand why it's there and it, ha- and it serves a very important purpose or it wouldn't be there in creation. Amen? Hallelujah. So we're going to look at uh, the picture um, that he paints. In fact, let me give you this uh, statistic before we get into that. Gallup did a survey of um, questions on heaven and hell. And 86% of the people believe there was a heaven. Only 69% believe there was a hell. And get this, only a half of 1% believe that they would go there. A half of 1% believe that they would go to hell. Isn't that sad? Now, do you think that 99.5% or what it actually ends up being 99, 99999.5, somewhere around there, I don't do the exact math, but half of 1%, whatever that calculates to, they don't believe they're going there. So how many realize that stat tells you that there's some deception here? Nobody thinks they're going there. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. And I'll be honest with you, We may be lying to the people because every funeral, everybody goes to heaven. The story always ends well. The story never ends up with the individual going to hell. Everybody's going to heaven. And we're doing a disservice if we certify something that we don't know. 
We're doing a disservice to people if we certify somebody's entrance into heaven and we don't know it. Hallelujah. Amen. So let's see what Jesus said. Jesus, number one, describes hell as a furnace of fire. And I'm not getting any feelings here that it's that he's mincing words here or he's just using it you know, to kind of explain it's similar to a furnace of fire. He literally says it's a furnace of fire. And again, who's a better witness of what it is than the one that created it? Matthew 13, 41 and 42, it says, The Son of Man will send His angels, gather out of His kingdom. This is Him speaking, by the way. All causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So very clearly he says this is a fiery furnace and every lawbreaker and every person who causes sin, his angels will gather them together. Do you understand that you can't even escape through death this judgment? He's going to gather people out of the sea. He's going to gather people out of the earth. He's going to gather people out of their graves. People are going to be very surprised when they're gathered together for that great judgment, that great harvest, and they're going to realize they're going to have to stand in front of a God and be judged for the life we live. How many know that? You say, no, it's my own life. I can do what I want with it. How many know that's a lie from the pit of hell? You're going to stand in front of God and you're going to have to give account for every idle word the Bible says. And how many churches across this country are preaching that message? No, no, you're, no, feel good about yourself. Feel good. No, you're good. You're good just the way you are. And don't, you all know, God doesn't expect you to, no, no, just, just, just you're fine. You're good. But the Bible says you're going to be judged by every idle word. You're going to stand in front of God and you're going to give account for your life, for every attitude, for every word, for every way you treated every person. And boy, I'm already starting to feel like I need a Savior. Man, I need a Savior. Mm. But it's a fiery furnace. Second place, it is a place of torment. You say, man, I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me. I can't compute that. God is a loving God. How would there be a place of torment? Well, the loving God is speaking here and listen to His words. This is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It says, and who's telling this story, by the way? Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And it says there was a rich man. He was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked on the poor man's sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Again, this is Jesus telling the story. So, well, man, that's a fanciful story. I don't know. But remember, he came from heaven, and he's telling the story, and nobody else can tell this story. 
All right? The angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in what? Torment. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off. And Lazarus was by his side, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received many good things. Church, if we read the Bible right, our hearts should be in pain right now. And we should be thinking about all the good things that we have and all the good things that we've hoarded to ourselves. And we need to be examining our life and saying, you know what, man, this is hitting me hard. I got to live my life a certain way because there is eternity. Amen. Says he had many good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, had many bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. You see that this man, based on the story that Jesus told, was in anguish. He was tormented. There were flames. How many see this? Words of Jesus. He's giving us an account of somebody who's in eternity, okay? So it is a place of torment. Again, I'm just telling you things we already know, right? Because I, I want to remind you, don't ever have the mentality when you walk into church, don't tell me those harsh realities, I don't really want to hear them. You know, I don't want to have to think about it. Be of the mindset that always remind me that. You know, always remind me about the good things that I have. Remind me about the blessings that I have. Remind me about my behavior and I'm going to have to give an account uh, remind me about hell. Remind me about heaven. How many of you know we need to preach heaven really sweet and we need to preach hell really hot? Hallelujah. And don't ever look for a place where they'll tickle your ears. Don't ever, let me say it again, don't ever look for a place where they'll tickle your ears and only preach about heaven. All right? Don't go to a place where they only preach about hell. Don't go to a place where they preach the message you want to hear because you're in a ear-tickling church and you need to get out of there really quick. Hallelujah. Because we need to hear these things. We need to um, think about these things. We need to be reminded of these things because it will make us a healthy Christian. How many know that? We want to be healthy. Hallelujah. Wow, was that sound like a crowd cheering? it'll be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth in Matthew 25, 28 to 46. In the first part of that, it says, So take the talent from him and give it, um, and give it to him who has ten talents. This is the parable of the talents, and I'm not going to read the whole parable. But basically, he gives certain resources to each person, Varying amounts, and how many know that either they took what God gave them in life and they used it for the benefit of the kingdom, or they took it for themselves and didn't use it at all and buried it into the kingdom? 
How many know we have a choice? We're giving in, we're given influence, we're given strength, we're giving, we're, we're given all types of things to use for the benefit of the kingdom. And we have a choice. We, we can either invest it in the kingdom and promote the kingdom and advance the kingdom and reach the lost and help the poor and help the needy, or we can take it all to ourselves and do nothing with it. And how many know a lot of people in America, they're just living for themselves. They're living for more, more, more in this world and eternity. I've heard it spoken of this way. It's like a rope that goes endlessly, and we're just holding the end of it, and that's all life is. It's just that little end, and we've got a whole eternity to live. And so God doesn't want us in this parable of talents. He's saying, don't take your life and just bury it in yourself. Promote the kingdom and think about the kingdom. Be kingdom people. Be kingdom-minded. But here's what he says after the parable of talents. He says, to everyone who has... More will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and he will cast that worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I want you to think about a place where there is continual weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, just, you know, the Bible, it says there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more, I don't know how, it's, it's amazing how you can have a place where your understanding is so perfect that there's no weeping. But here you're constantly weeping, regretting, um, and you're constantly gritting your teeth. Do you see the picture Jesus is trying to give us? I mean, it's a horrifying picture. Uh, it's a picture of a furnace. It's a picture of um, torment. It's a picture of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But how many know that Jesus preached it, so i got to preach it? And it's a reality, and it's real. Uh, number four, in the same story, it goes on. It says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels are with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, how many think that's awesome? That is so awesome. That's what we're living for. The kingdom that is prepared for you from the foundation of the world And man, our faith just says, God, that's what I'm living for. That's what I'm hoping for. But some people have never lived for it. Listen to me. And never hoped for it. They're so caught up in this world and so caught up in today and so caught up in themselves. They've never worshipped God. They've never thought about the kingdom. They've never invested in the kingdom. They've never done anything for the kingdom. They've never turned away from a world to receive a city whose builder and maker is God. And look at the other group. To the one he says, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Then he says, for I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and we gave you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of of these my brothers, you did it to me. But we always have to look at the contrast. Remember, Half of 1% that almost everybody thinks they're going to heaven. They're receiving a award they didn't even, <laughs> they believe they're going to heaven and haven't even, you know, believed in the Lord. The next one says, there will be those who are on his left. And he will say to them, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, or sick or in prison, or and did not minister to you? What are we trying to do at this church? Raise up ministers to do the work of the ministry. And he said, when did we see you and minister to you? And he says, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these, and these will go away. Now listen to this. This is my fourth point. It's eternal. It is eternal. He says, and these will go away into eternal Punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Everybody says, man, heaven's so awesome. It's eternal life. It's eternal life. And we don't have any problem saying eternal life. But then the alternative is eternal death. The second death, the Bible calls it. It's also eternal. But that's where you start getting debates. Well, man, it's not eternal. It's not you know, they're just annihilated. No, it's eternal, just like eternal life. And, and I'm here to remind you about that. We need to live in eternity every day of our life. Every moment that we wake up, my dream for this church is, my vision for this church is, that we wake up every day and everybody has a mission for Christ. A mission for Christ. When you wake up, you're excited. When you lay down, you're excited. Because you've got a mission till the day you die to minister for Christ and live for eternity and build, like Jason said, I think Jason was speaking at my notes, live um, for treasure in heaven, not on this earth. Listen to this. Another story that Jesus has, the faith of the centurion And uh, I didn't even write this scripture down. But the story of the centurion, it says, "When When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied and said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. 
For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him. These are his disciples. Truly I tell you, no one in Israel have I found such faith. Nowhere in Israel. I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But listen to this. Who's he talking to? Those who were following him. These were Jews. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness in that place where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done to you as you have believed. Your servant has been healed at this moment. How many know that Jesus, he's saying a lot of these descriptions of hell and a lot of his dialogue about hell, he's saying to those who are Jews and those who are following him. And and, and it's very fascinating because Jesus, in fact, uh, what's really fascinating is the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious, uh, even people that were following his ministry, um, these are the people that he's talking to hell about. And what's fascinating is, you know, for instance, let me give you a few examples. The woman at the well, okay? This is a woman that had five husbands. She had been divorced and remarried probably five times, all right? She'd had many relationships, and she definitely was a woman um, who Jesus could have walked to the well, and how many think it would have been a perfect time to say, hey, woman, be careful, you know, you're going to go to hell. (laughs) Be careful of the hellfire. Be careful of hell, but he doesn't do it there. He doesn't say anything about hell. Zacchaeus. He's walking along the path, and there's Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is in a a job that was considered one of the most evil jobs that you could have because he was a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government, and that meant that he uh, took a lot of money for himself, and that was legal to do. So he skimmed a lot of money off, ripped a lot of people off, took a lot of money in, and as far as the Jews were concerned, he was about as evil as you got. And how many think it would have been appropriate to walk up and say, change your life, Zacchaeus, or you're going to hell? But he didn't do it. The centurion rides in. This is a Gentile, possibly, you know, we don't know his background, but they were known, you know, as a Roman soldier to worship pagan idols. And and, uh, he doesn't tell the centurion to beware of hell. He turns around to the religious and warns them about hell. Isn't it interesting? You say, well, man, why does he do that? Why does he, why is he so careful to warn? In fact, he uh, tells the um, Pharisees in Matthew 23, you snakes, you brought of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? That would have been a good line for the woman at the well. Would have been a good line for Zacchaeus. Would have been a good line for the centurion. But it wasn't. It was the religious people. Now last week, uh, Eddie preached an incredible sermon on dressed for success. And he was talking about our righteousness. 
And he was talking about how our righteousness is as filthy rags. And I cringed because he began to give the description of what a filthy rag is in Hebrew, right? We all know what the description was. It's menstrual rags. And I know you were hoping that word didn't get brought up again in the following Sunday. But Eddie went on to be descriptive and say, hey, that's what you're wearing. That's actually your clothing. You know, you could find anything better than to sew all those together, all those rags, and that's your good deeds and that's your righteousness. And God said, when I look at you, that's what I see with your righteousness. And so the reason he's warning about hell is to the religious people, the people that go to the church, the people that have been converted because the lost know they're lost. The lost realize they're lost. The lost realize that God is not accepting me because I I don't go to church. I don't have a relationship with God. I don't have anything. But you know what the righteous do? We've got a country right now that's about 80% Christian or maybe more. I don't know the statistic. Anybody know the statistic? 74% Christian. And half of 1% believe they're not going to hell. And the reason why Jesus, I believe, and this is speculation, I don't have a verse that I can point it out, is because I think that a lot of self-righteous people believe they're going to heaven because they go to church. They believe they're going to heaven because they sit through a service. They believe they're going to heaven because a relative went to church. They believe they're a Christian because grandpa was a Christian, or mom was a Christian, or dad was a Christian. And they're dressed in garments that will send you straight to hell because you don't have a Savior. You have self-righteousness. You're dressed in something that won't pass the test. And if you're dressed up in self-righteousness and you go to church every week and you don't have a Savior then you're on your way to hell and there's nothing I can do about it. And some of you are the closest people to me that I have and I can't tell you to go away from it. I can't tell you that you're on your way to hell because I was on my way to hell. Without a Savior right now, every lawbreaker is going to hell. Every cause of sin is going to hell and it's from the lips of Jesus Christ. And the reason I walk into church every week and worship my Lord is because when the death angel comes by, he looks at me and he passes over me because of the blood that's on my heart. The doorposts of my heart, there's blood dripping. It's from God who was slain by men because he died for me. He was innocent, but he died for me so I could be passed over. And I can't get that through your head that you have to have a Savior to get to heaven because you think because you go to church and you do good deeds, you're going to heaven and you're not. And church, I've got to find a way to tell you that. I've got to snap you out of what Paul called the bewitching. Where you're just like hypnotized. You're like in a, and you say, why are you screaming? I'm screaming because I'm trying to wake you up. You could go out in a split second. You could be dead tomorrow. And you're not going to heaven if you don't have a savior. And the reason I worship God is not to look good. I'm not worshiping God to make everybody be impressed with how spiritual I am. I'm worshiping God because I appreciate that he saved my life and I'm going to heaven. And he's going to pass over me because I am a cause of sin. I am a lawbreaker. I'm the one the angels are going to gather together and throw in hell. But the only difference is there's blood on my doorpost. 
I've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, and every time I walk in, I raise those hands and I say, God, I am a sinner, and I'm so thankful you saved me. And God, Sunday is not enough for me to worship you. I want to worship you every day. I want to live for you. I want to reach out. I don't want to be the one that doesn't help the poor, doesn't help the needy, doesn't help those who are sitting in prison, those who are sitting in nursing homes. How many of you know, I read those scriptures and I say to myself, I better get busy. I don't want to be the one that he says, go away from me. Church, I'm just telling you, you got to have a Savior. We're all going to hell without the blood on our doorposts. That's what Passover was all about. It was about the lamb that died so we don't have to go to hell. All of us are going to hell. Say that. Say that. All of us are destined for hell without a Savior. All of us. But if we accept Jesus Christ's death, God decided at the foundation of the world, that's how I will do it. That's how we'll decide. The blood of the Lamb. Genesis 3.15 He said, that's how it's going to be. The blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Now i got all worked up. I got to dial down. <clears throat> I mean, no, I only yell because I love you. I love you. I'm trying to get through to everybody. We have to have the blood of the Lamb and we have to appreciate the death, or maybe we didn't really receive it. I'm just telling you. If we don't understand that, well, we won't worship. <clears throat> Whew. Give me a second. Listen to this children's song. I like this. Listen to this children's song. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. How many can say hallelujah? I love those lyrics. But this has to be true also. Hell is a horrible place filled with sin and disgrace. Don't want to see that devil's face because hell is a horrible place. How many know we have to know both of those stanzas of that song? And we can sing about heaven is a wonderful place, heaven is a wonderful place, and we should uh, comfort ourselves with the thought of heaven, but we also have to remember the reality, the reality of hell. Much as we hate to think about it, hate to dwell on it, We've got to remember that reality. Hallelujah. Wow. <clears throat> so why did God make hell? Why would God make hell? Well, the truth is, the Bible, I read the Scripture, it said hell was made for Satan and his angels. And so if it was made for that purpose, think about that. Specifically, that was made for those angels who rebelled and uh, rebelled against God, led a uh, rebellion in heaven. One-third of the angels joined Satan, and God made a place for those Satan and his angels. And you say, well, why would God have to expand hell? And the answer is because God is a God of justice. 
And so God has to have a dividing line between what's fair and what is just. So let's say that you, um, in fact, uh, we can all think about what's fair and just. In fact, let's all play the judge, okay? Let's all act like we're judges, all right? And so let's make a dividing line here. Well, who's going to go to hell? And so Charles Manson, yes or no? Yeah, I'd say I'd say he's earned it. Okay, um, Hitler. Check. Okay, Stalin maybe. Yeah, he's earned it. Okay, but boy, where do you where do you draw the line here? You know, let's say that those um, a serial killer went in front of a judge, and and um, you know, you listen to hours and hours. You're the judge, and you listen to all the evidence and the grisly murders and all the things that he did, and and then the judge makes a uh, ruling. He says, "You know what? I'm going to give you grace, and I'm just going to let you go, and we're going to make you pay a fine." Well, what would you do? Everything in you would say, "That's not fair. That's not right. That's not just. You know, that's." You can't do that. You know, there's all kinds of reasons why that is um, repulsive. How many think that's repulsive? You know, that somebody could commit crimes like that and all these mothers and fathers and have lost their daughters and this killer is going to go free. And, And so God is a just and a fair God. And you say, well, why is there a hell and why do people go to hell In fact, do you know that in order to go to hell, do you know what you have to do? Nothing. Nothing. If you do nothing, that's where you're going. But how many know Jesus did everything to help you avoid hell? How many know that Jesus did everything? Let me say that again. Jesus did everything to proclaim from the very beginning that you don't have to go to hell. He proclaimed it through the good news of the gospel from the very beginning that the God of heaven is going to come to earth. Prophecy from the Garden of Eden. How many know that? And God has proven it. He is, He has documented from that moment in the garden until now, He's documented a path, one path, one and only path. God has been proactive through history and said there's going to be a Messiah, there's going to be a Messiah from the very beginning. He documented every family, every name. He documented the family line of the Messiah. He gave prophecies to prove that the Messiah was going to come. And Jesus Christ has been proactive, and He says, all you have to do is look and live. I don't, over and over and over, God said, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I'm here to save you, I'm here to rescue you, I'm here to be your Savior, I'm here to be your Messiah. And over and over and over, He tells us that. And over and over and over, we reject it. How do we do that? How can we not worship Him? How can we not love Him? How can we not accept His gift? How can we not understand the reality? In church, all you have to do is nothing to go to hell, and all you have to do is look and live and believe to go to heaven. Hallelujah. 
Here's some quotes. C.S. Lewis. I willingly believe that the damned are in one sense successful, rebels all the way to the end, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. Hallelujah, do you understand that? Successfully rebelling for a whole lifetime. You win. How many know that? If you don't want God, you win. Enter into your reward, which is hell. Locked from the inside. Charles Spurgeon. The hell of all hells will be thought that it is forever. The soul sees written over its head, you are damned forever. It hears the howlings that are to be perpetual. It sees flames that are unquenchable. It knows pains that are unmitigated. Billy Graham, if we had more hell in the pulpit, we would have less hell in the pews. Hallelujah. Amen. Charles Finney. When sinners are careless and stupid and sinking into hell unconcerned, it is time for the church to stir themselves up. It is as much the duty of the church to awake as it is for the firemen to awake when the fire breaks out in the night in a great city. Church, are you hearing that? Hallelujah. And I'm going to close with one more. You can stand to your feet, Ryan. I'm going to close with a scripture from Jesus. And again, church, don't be upset with me. Be glad you have a pastor that reminds you of the things that you already know. How many think hell has to be preached hot? Hallelujah. I love you. Don't think, well, man, he's mad at me. He's screaming at me. No, I'm just trying to make sure you know that hell is our destination without a Savior. We need a Savior so bad. So bad we need a Savior. We'll close with this scripture. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Hallelujah. Remember, that's the words of Jesus. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord. Lord, I pray right now against every bit of pride. Lord, pride will lead us down the road of destruction. Lord, right now I pray against every um, fear. I pray against those doubts. I pray against every enemy lie, Lord God, that would keep us from your free gift of salvation. And Lord, I just uh, pray right now that you release heaven, Lord. Courage, Lord God. Strength, Lord God. To do the right thing, Lord God. To receive that gift, Lord. And I pray it over this place right now, over every heart, Lord. Hallelujah. And here's what I'm going to do, church. We're going to, we're getting ready to worship. And um, God just asks you to Pray the prayer of faith and say, Lord, I understand that I'm a sinner. And I lay my, da- my life down, Lord God, to make you the Lord of my life. I had nobody to lead me to the Lord when I came to the Lord. 
I was all alone, had nobody to leave me, Lord. And you know what my prayer was? I'm going to hold your hand, and I'm never going to let go, and it doesn't matter who leaves me. It doesn't matter what happens to me in life. I'm never letting go of your hand. And that include, and, and even included every time I fail. So here's the thing. You'll fail. You'll lose friends. You'll lose family. Everything won't go perfect in your life. But all you have to do is say, Lord, I'm grabbing a hold of your hand. Save me. And I'll never let go no matter what. I'll worship you. Even if I failed, I'll worship you. Even if I'm down, I'll worship you. Even if I don't want to worship you, I'll worship you. Even if I don't feel worthy, I'll worship you. Because your, your blood has covered every failure. Your blood has covered everything in my life. I've got blood over the top of me. And the, and, the, and the death angel will pass over me. Eternal life is my reward. But I'm going to live for you the rest of my life. And church, if you can do that, maybe you haven't been living for the Lord. Recommit your life today. Just find a place and pray the prayer that I prayed. You now you say, well, brother, I want, to, I want you to pray over me. I'm up here at the altar waiting for you. Take that step of courage and faith. And you say, well, man, I want to do it privately. Find me privately. Call me privately. Call a brother or a sister in this church and do it privately. But just do it. Just do it because we, we have to have a Savior. We have to have a Savior and we need to worship a Savior. We need to know what He did for us every day of our life. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The altars are open. Preach a sermon like that. Now it's time for the good news. Because when you realize there's a hell and you realize what we are, or you realize what he did, now the good news makes sense. The good news makes sense. The cross was enough. I'm going to read you an illustration. I'm going to have a closing prayer here. I want to tell you about a person named John. It says, John was as bad of a person as you would ever know. He was an alcoholic. He was a brawler. Had a lot of fights. He even uh, visited red light districts in towns. Sounded like a bad guy, didn't it? He was a sailor. He ran slave ships. He kidnapped human beings, shipped them for a price. Then a vicious storm hit. 
And he became so fearful in the storm that he had a sudden awareness of God. It said clothing and bedding were stuffed in holes and they nearly sank to the bottom of the ocean. And and it said he began to, one writer noted that in his heart he believed in Christianity and believed it was true. But he also concluded that uh, his sins were too great to be forgiven. His whole life he felt like he had always been so bad that nobody could ever forgive his sins. Can I tell you something? There are two kinds of people. There are those you walk up to and they say, why do I need a Savior? And there's another group of people that says, why would he want me? And can I tell you the ones that say, why would he want me? Are much easier to win to the Lord. There are those that life is good and they have a nice family. They have a new car in the driveway. And you say, man, you need the Lord. And they're like, why? But this John needed the Lord. He was a bad person and his sins were too bad. And Some of you know the story. He's the writer of the song Amazing Grace. And church, can I tell you, when you realize you need a Savior and you wonder why does He want me and why am I so fortunate to know the Savior and every time you walk into the house, you can't worship Him enough because you know that He saved you. You know that He took your sins away as far as the east is from the west. You know that His blood is applied to your life and you're going to heaven, church. How good does that feel? And I want to shout every time I walk into the sanctuary, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I didn't deserve it, but grace becomes more and more amazing every time I worship Every time I walk in, I can't wait to worship Him. I can't wait to tell Him I love Him. I can't wait to do something for Him. Because He paid a debt that's too much for me to pay back. I can't pay it back. Hallelujah. Let's close in a word of prayer. Can I encourage you to do something? Pray that prayer. You have to sit on the side of your bed alone in a room like I did. Pray it. It will change your life. Lord. I'm never letting go. I'm living for you. The rest of my life, I'm living for you. That, that was 30 years ago or whatever it was. And still today, I'm holding on to that hand. Hallelujah. Let's close. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord. We, we thank you for the debt you paid, Lord God. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. We thank you for your amazing grace. Lord, bless your people, Lord God. Keep your hand upon them, Lord. Hallelujah. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen.